Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. I am very excited to welcome Harris Eddy Hill today. They use they, them pronouns. They are an out and proud non-binary podcaster. The Speaker Awards shortlisted sustainability and positive impact speaker of the year, best-selling author and childhood trauma coach for neurodivergent folks. Harris has survived and overcome trauma, unaccepting family members, cancer, abusive relationships, physical paralysis, and mental health challenges, yet has found their way to emotional freedom and is now passing the power forward. Harris, welcome so welcome to the show. Nice to have you. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I just read your bio again and wow, that's <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, and, and, and also really hard stuff. So I would love to hear a little bit about your journey of as a queer person. Mm-hmm. So when I was 14, uh, I was at a friend's house after school and we were watching MTV. This was in the early noughties uh, when it was cool to just sit there and watch like music videos all the time. And Christina Aguilera's Dirty video came on and I suddenly had this moment of awareness and I was like, and I said to my friend, do you like this video? She's like, yeah. I was like, but do you like, like it? And she was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, I think I'm bisexual. Then. <laughs> <laughs> that was the issue so oh okay and it was a bit of a non-issue um then I I tend to use the term pansexual now although I mean that's roughly right I think um, so hard those terms sometimes and where to put yourself in them yeah but it will do I, I'm basically I'm not really fast uh, somebody's gender identity biological sex whatever is not really a factor for me it's mm-hmm. uh, my connection to the person and you know if they think I'm funny so <laughs> just make them laugh that's it <laughs> so so like a lot of people your journey in this started with your sexuality which is pretty typical for people but then I guess you realized that for you it was more than sexuality so yeah yeah so I remember as a teenager trying very hard to emulate the other girls I went to an all-girls uh, secondary school and I remember trying really hard to be a girl and uh, it was just such a performance. Um, but I didn't consciously, uh, I wasn't consciously aware of that. And then the night before I was uh, 18, I had this thought that like tomorrow I will be legally considered a woman. And I felt really horrible about that, you know, and not because there's anything wrong with being a woman, but it just felt so wrong to me. It felt like wearing shoes that would like, tensile it was dreadful um and then when I was 26 uh I had a part-time job in the morning and I was on Facebook as a lot of people tend to do while they're at work 
And I saw a word that I'd never seen before. I Googled it and it led me to this list of uh, gender identities. And they just brought out gender identities on Facebook. This was like nine years ago now. And as I read through it, the light bulb came on. I had this massive rush of adrenaline and I felt the most amazing recognition and, and a feeling of coming home. And once that subsided, I was like, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. I have a track record. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then once that feeling of like euphoria subsided, I was like, holy shit, like, what does this mean now? And, um, you know, what does this mean? And what, you know, what do I do about, I don't know how I feel about my name. I'd never really liked my, my given name. Um, I was like, I don't know. I've never liked being called a she, her or a woman or anything like that. Excuse me. And um, yeah, there was there were just so many questions. I was like, how do I do this? I don't know anybody like me. And at that point, I was the only one that I knew like me. Mm -hmm. And it took me a good three years to settle on the term agender, which means mm -hmm. genderless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some other labels that I'm happy with. Trans works for me um, and trans masculine. You know, um, you'll generally find me in uh, trousers or jeans and a baggy mm -hmm. jumper or something. And when I'm dressing up, I'll wear a really smart like dinner jacket or something. Mm -hmm. Not that not that there's only one way to be non-binary, but I think for me, it's, it's more the masculine end. But I used to also be uh, a makeup hair and makeup artist. So I've always mm -hmm. worn makeup and. Um, I think in the sort of, by the time I'd been out for, well, yeah, about a year and a half to two years, I started thinking about, I don't actually know if I like all of these things because I genuinely like them or if I like these things because I've been conditioned to. So that year I was learning to box. I had two matches uh, in public with an audience of a thousand people <laughs> each time. Um, which I did to sort of overcome my, my fear of confrontation. And during that year, I put all of my dresses and skirts into a different wardrobe in the house. So I didn't have to keep looking at them because they were sort of haunting me from my cupboard. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, during that time, I pretty much stopped wearing makeup. I stopped doing my nails. And then by the end of that year, I came back to everything and thought, actually, the only thing I really like is, still is makeup and the rest of it can go. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, since then, I've um, got a referral to the gender clinic uh, on the NHS. And uh, I've been on uh, testosterone for a year. So far, I've got a fluffy chin and a fluffy tummy. And that's about it. <laughs> and uh, I'm currently pursuing a referral for top surgery, chest surgery. Uh, mm -hmm. I want I want boy boobies instead of the ones that I have. Not that mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with them, but I, it's not quite what I ordered. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then that, that's where I am with it. And it's been nine years. And um, I think at the beginning, I thought that I would, it would be similar to coming out about my sexuality. And it's not, you have to come out every day to strangers. And well, a lot of the time I don't bother. Um, strangers, colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, people who, you know, might serve you the uh, uh, cashiers in, in shops and stuff. It's... Um, yeah, it's uh, an ongoing thing and possibly will be for the rest of my life. So that was quite a difficult thing to uh, find acceptance with and not tear my hair out about. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think about like femme lesbians who have to come out every day of their life, you know, because, um, you know, there's, you know, in the queer community, there's definitely femme invisibility. And so if somebody looks super femme, people don't assume they're gay. And so a lot of times, I, like I, I remember this really great um, trans masculine man did this poem about like, oh, to the femme lesbian. And <laughs> It was really, really a great poem, but, you know, in the poem, he says, my, my closet was made out of glass. And I love that term because there are people who are in the queer community whose closets are made out of glass. Like they have, they don't have, they don't have to come out, but they also have had to face a lot of like bullying and all kinds of stuff. And, and in the poem, he said, but you with your long hair and your low cut blouses have to come out at your children's school. <laughs> like you're constantly coming out. So I can, I can imagine for somebody who identifies as a gender that happens all the time. And, oh. and when someone misgenders you, um, do you have the energy to crack them or do you just say? It really depends. If it's someone I'm going to see again, then I might be like, Oh, just so you know, um, but if it's somebody, if it's a stranger or somebody I don't have much to do with, then I just don't bother. The mm -hmm. first, I think, two or three years, misgendering stung really bad. And, uh, you know, I didn't jump down anybody's throat, but I, it was really a painful experience. And mm -hmm. I would say to some degree it still is, but I think in becoming happier in myself, I, I'm weathering it a bit more easily. Well, I think it's just wanting to be seen for who you are. And when people misgender people, they don't see them for who they are. And it's like yeah. constant claiming your authenticity to people so that they can, you know, and it gets exhausting. It gets exhausting to do that. You know, I want to share with you that when I, um, back in 2006, I read an article in Oprah Winfrey magazine in which it talked about the fluidity of women's sexuality. And it was a story of basically women who had been married to men and, um, and uh, ended up being with women. And um, it was one of those, like, I know that moment because when you talked about like here, seeing those words, it was this moment of like, oh, just because I started down this straight path doesn't mean I have to stay on it for my entire life. And I remember at the time telling my now 32, yeah, 32-year-old daughter, oh my goodness, um, that, you know, hey, if something ever happens to your dad and I don't expect, you know, don't, ex don't be surprised if I end up with a woman and like, it, so my daughter has no memory of this conversation. That's how much it meant to her. But to me, I think she was the first person that I sort of came out to. And it, I, I remember that, like when you see something or read something that all of a sudden, like Christine Aguilera, all of a sudden it goes bang and your head goes, wait a minute. So I really, I really appreciate your story. So you work with people who have gone through trauma. So tell, tell me a little bit about that, because that's the precursor to your business. How did you get involved in that field and, and what drew you to it? I mean, you know, there's a kind of a, an in-joke in the healing community that those who need to be healed end up doing healing as a job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, had you asked me either, you know, maybe 10 years ago and said, 
you know, do you think that you have trauma? I would have said, yes, I have trauma around. I won't go into any details for those who might be sensitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm happy to share. But, um, you know, I would have told you at the time I had uh, PTSD as a result of um, sexual trauma. But more than that, I wouldn't have said anything. Uh, I didn't have an awareness of anything beyond that. And I think because that that trauma was so present for me every day. I mean, to give you an idea, I would only have to see a headline about that subject, um, you know, uh, on Facebook or something. And that would that could be enough to trigger me. It was really severe PTSD. The symptoms were pretty horrific. I used to have nightmares about being chased and um you know, people couldn't even the sort of slapstick comedy where where a, a guy might get kicked in the in the balls or something. I was like, I can't, I can't even laugh at that. Like that for me is really, it really felt terrible. And like a lot of survivors, I was in and out of uh, regular sort of talking therapies, CBT, um, doctors' offices and stuff. And I was like, will somebody just please bloody help me? And they were like, well, we can talk about it. I was like, it's not what I need. I I can verbalise what happened. I can rationalise it. You know, I was like, I, I can analyse it and everything, but that's not that's not what I'm dealing with. What I'm, I, I, need, I need to be able to move through this. Can, can I not heal? And they were like, I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're asking for. And I just found it so frustrating. And then around 28... In fact, it was the same year I was doing boxing. I had a girlfriend and uh, as the relationship was breaking down, I went back into therapy with a private therapist that I, that I know locally. And whilst we, we were uh, sort of doing our um, <clears throat> consultation our, our, at the beginning, uh, she said to me, what about your PTSD? And I said, well, I handle it as best I can. What more is there to say? At that point, I was pretty, I'd given up on the idea of healing. And she said, well, do you want to get rid of it? I was like, what, what do you mean? She said, you, you, can, you can overcome PTSD, you can heal from it. And I was like, oh, my God, can we do that now? And she's like, well, we, we have to do a bit of work first. We can't just kind of dive straight into it. And I was like, oh, OK. So we, I, I worked with her for just over a year. And at the end, we processed the, the trauma around the sexual uh, assault, of which there had been several, unfortunately. And in two, two hours, it was gone never mm-hmm. to come back not a single relapse to the point that I have uh, in my adulthood in, in recent years uh, somebody that I've known since I was a teenager he got sent to prison for similar offenses and whilst that's deeply unpleasant and obviously I still have a very strong moral response to that an ethical response um, it wasn't happening to me in that situation mm-hmm. I was able to come at it from a, an observer point of view and not from a victim point of view Mm-hmm. So that really changed my life and it really gave me my life back. However, in the years after that healing, I had a few breakdowns. And I want to temper this by saying that I am neurodivergent. And I think some of those breakdowns could have been like autistic burnout and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there was still something that wasn't right. So I went back to the trauma therapist. And since I had been with her last time, she had done her master's in traumatology. And I had since trained uh, in NLP and timeline therapy. Mm-hmm. And firstly, so much of what she was doing with me the second time around was very similar to how I'd been trained. In fact, a lot of NLP and timeline therapy turned up in her master's traumatology. 
And secondly, she said, you have complex PTSD as a result of your upbringing. And I was like, oh, and it really surprised me. Had you asked me about my upbringing, I would have told you it was very complicated. And, you know, my family had different issues and that there was dysfunction. But I would never have guessed or, or even seen that it was complex trauma. And uh, also that so much of what I experienced was categorically abuse. You know, I love my family and I think they're hilarious. We, we spend a lot of time together. Um, and a lot of what I experienced was, was abuse and trauma from that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it was both true that I had experienced trauma and abuse and that my family are great people. And I think that's something that a lot of people who come to me find quite difficult it's such a it's such a duality isn't it to love love your family although you don't have to <laughs> uh, not everybody does no, no absolutely yeah and and I and it, through this experience I've realized that not only am I already trained in a lot of the alternative you know quote-unquote alternative stuff that was used to heal me but also that my experience and my sort of 10 years of self-study um, made me the perfect person to help other people with this kind of thing. Absolutely. So I have a quick, uh, you're using some um, uh, psychological terms that I want you to define. NLP? NLP stands for neuro-linguistic programming. Mm -hmm. um, it's been around for some decades. Initially, it was considered a crock of crap. But uh, in times since, um, there have been some other, some better studies done with better controls. And actually it's the, you know, uh, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of those practices have, have found their way into modern day traumatology that's taught at a master's level. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't use all of it. Um, and actually a lot of my work now is around, uh, you know, in, in a child work and, and, um, rewiring so, for example, I had a client who, um, you know, she she's gay. She came out in late, later in life as well. And her, her, her upbringing was was very, uh, very abusive, very, very traumatizing. And her mother used to dress her up as a sort of living doll. And mm -hmm. obviously, you know, she, she's um, a, a fairly masculine uh, woman. So one of the healings that we did together was that we we were healing uh, a memory. We started off with something that she felt she could deal with. So we started off with this memory around her being bullied at school. And we took her uh, in the healing out of that situation, this, this younger version of her, because trauma is unprocessed memory and feeling in the body. So we can go back there to that version of her at that age and, and talk with her and um, give it a different ending, basically. Heal it in the body, release it from the body and give it a different ending. So I often invite clients to, you know, once we've dealt with it, we've healed it, then we take the inner child of, of, at that age into uh, an environment that is safe and lovely. And for her, it was... Um, uh, a lovely sort of little little farmhouse on the coast wow. and uh, and she dressed her inner child in a way that the inner child felt uh really comfortable and, and yeah. very 
empowered. And she told me afterwards, she said, I've stopped having nightmares about this. And any time I think of my childhood self now, I see my my childhood self as a really happy and safe version dressed in the clothes that we like. Mm. So it was really special. Very wonderful. And you also mentioned time. What is it? I wrote it. Timeline therapy. Yeah. What's timeline therapy? I'm, these are like, I've literally never heard of these. And yeah. So what, so, are, what is that? Timeline therapy is the idea that we can envisage a timeline. So we are where we are on our timeline. If you imagine it as a, a line that goes all the way behind you is the past and all the way mm-hmm. in front of you is the future. Right. So the idea is that through different experiences, and this is why talking therapy doesn't do this, because it's it's a it's an intellectual process. Whereas, yeah, have, yeah. Yes. Whereas the timeline therapy and healing modalities should be an emotional experience that that gives you a different ending to whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So the idea with timeline therapy is that um, you know the client will close their eyes, turn around, and then uh, hovering high above the timeline, so you're not you don't feel too close, you don't feel like you're in it, you feel like you're high above it, observing it from on high, and then you would go back to whatever memory it is that we're wanting to deal with, and you would make your observations and begin to work with that memory with a good distance between you and it so that you're not experiencing it you're you've got a good healthy distance in a way that's easier for you to process mm-hmm. and so we would kind of make our observations and stuff and then once the client's ready it might not be the first session um and there may be other things that we do first but eventually you will should be able to kind of go down and actually kind of visit that memory and go down to the timeline at ground level and be able to look around and and see if there's anything left uh, in your body that needs to be expressed and, and healed mm-hmm. and then once once you're done you can you can kind of float up back high again face your present and then as you move back along the timeline towards the present you then heal anything that's related all the way along until you're back to the present moment. That sounds very fascinating. You know, it's really interesting because a lot of the work I do with people isn't intellectual. It's really the emotional part of coming out and stuff like that. And what I realized is, is that I realized when I started to do this work, especially in the beginning, it was all talk, talk, talk. And then I realized this isn't working and it's in, and in a lot of ways, it's making it harder for people. And yes. so I started to add all kinds of different modalities and to my coaching program, including Reiki. And so I, because, because I know that just talking about this stuff, it, it, it's, it doesn't work. It like, because it's the mind, it's the intellect. So we have to go into the emotions and also into the body to be able to create changes. I would love to talk to you after the podcast about how you got healed from your PTSD. So I'm really interested in that, but I want to focus on your business right now. And so tell me about your business and what made you start it? I think that, you know, it's, fairly simple in that I just felt a really strong calling to this I've had other businesses before hair and makeup professional house sitting um, activism and advocacy around gender identity 
and they were all amazing experiences and definitely like a, a really integral part of my journey but this is the stuff that I can get my teeth into it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having or anything that's going on the moment that I'm sat there with a client and working through this it's like everything else melts away and what I'm creating with the other person is is sort of more healing and and I feel like yes it's for them Mm -hmm. uh, but also it's 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 for the world it has such an important and and amazing knock-on effect to a whole person's community and how they're I think trauma takes so much of your energy and your personality and it, it's it's so it can be so suffocating and when mm-hmm. we heal that the person is able to be more themselves to enjoy and to really live as large as they want to and I think that has such a positive knock-on effect to everyone around them well, and if we create more happier people if we and I don't know if that, I want to say it like that. If more people embrace their authenticity and their happiness, then the world become, it's like a domino effect. Then the world becomes more happy. Um, so we have to start somewhere. <laughs> um, so what is the biggest challenges in your, in, in running your business? I think that you know having been in business and in the online world of business and coaching and stuff for so many years I mean I was in the in the coaching world long before I even trained Mm -hmm. so I think there must have been a a draw there long Mm -hmm. before I was consciously aware I think in that time you come across so many trainings and this is how you should do things and you know I'm neurodivergent I don't see many people like me or you know who've who've made it big I think about like other big coaches like Tony Robbins and Jay Shetty and um you know even Mel Robbins or all these different people they're so uh, you know they fit the mainstream they yeah, fit the mainstream yeah. in a big yeah. way and it's taken a really long time for me to get to a place where I'm not buying the hype anymore mm-hmm. you know I've uh, so much of the marketing around you know coaching material aimed at other coaches and other business owners says to you unless you do this uh, you're going to be poor and unless you do this you you won't make it and actually it's been a real practice of discipline and uh, to not go after the shiny object syndrome and to tap into my own wisdom and my own you know I, I am spiritual and, and and very intuitive um and I think your version of how you're going to get there is more important than anything else that that someone can say, can teach you. Like my system or my blueprint does this. So none of those systems or blueprints work. I'm no. going to, they don't work. Um, they do work for the people that sell them because it's aligned with probably who they are and what they are and what they yeah. offer and stuff like that. You really have to, like, as a coach, you really have to find your own system and what works for you and, and what, what you need as a coach to find with support and stuff like that. Um, I, I have been coaching people for a while now for five years and I come from a counseling background and what I realized is that like I did, I've done everything wrong, like in marketing and stuff like that. And I'm super like really honest and really authentic and all those things like that. But like, that's not how you're supposed to do things to be able to get clients and all those things like that. And 
I've done pretty well. And I feel like if you just show up as yourself and say, hey, I have this and this is what I do, you will you will attract the people that that are supposed to find you. And that's that's my also my spiritual belief that the universe will connect you with the people you need who need you. And then when you need somebody, that person will show up at the, you know, your door. You know, yeah. that's what I believe. Um, yeah. So what do you consider your biggest successes? It wow. sounds like working with your clients. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the, the client work is, is what I, I, li- I live for. It's, it's just so beautiful. But I think outside of that, it's, um, you know, coming back from some, from some really big like personal challenges and coming back to this. Um, my last breakdown, which was my most uh, fantastic <laughs> once to date was just before the pandemic and I was living in Bali at the time Mm -hmm. which sounds idyllic but it wasn't I don't know if any place is a great place to have a breakdown but that definitely was up there (laughs) and um you know I came home and I really knew intuitively that I was falling apart to come back together and that the next iteration of me was going to be the best one so far Mm-hmm. But coming out of that, you know, that's when I went through my second round of trauma therapy. I got medicated again for the first time in a very long time, like since I was probably like late teens or something. And uh, I'm in my in my 30s now. Um, so I think coming back, coming back from that is is a massive success because your business mm-hmm. is such a it's only as stable as you are. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And um that and I think also becoming a best-selling author was a big surprise I was just taking part in a co-authored book to support the Pride and Joy Foundation and had no idea what was going to happen as a result of that wait a minute I didn't read you did say you were a best-selling author so okay now here's the time for you to plug your book what's the name of the book (laughs) yeah Hang on, let me, I've got a copy of it here. Oh, I just happen to have a copy right here. <laughs> it's called Thriving in Business Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Entrepreneur. Ooh, pretty cool. And um, yeah, it was the first, you know, I, I co-authored it. It wasn't all, all me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was doing it as a kind of a, um, an exercise. I wanted to take part. It meant something to me. You know, the, the Pride and Joy Foundation do a lot to improve um, acceptance for you know I know young, the Pride and Joy uh, uh, Foundation uh what's what's her Elena, name Elena Joy yeah, she was in my group she was oh. in my, not, not my coaching group she was just in my Facebook group I, I was okay. like I know that name yeah I know yeah. Elena. yeah that's cool yeah so just in pre-sales I think it hit five bestseller lists and I had to take the following week off because I couldn't cope I was so unprepared and then off the back of that, I think there was a petition to the Library of Congress to add two new uh, national uh, literature categories. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing that the knock on effect of that. So. Uh, yeah, it was like, I, you know, financially, because I we, we all wrote it to support the foundation that it wasn't like a for, for a financial gain or anything. But I feel like what we all got out of it, um, at least in a, 
sort of, you know, I've achieved this. If I drop down dead tomorrow, then, you know, something, I did something that will remain. I think you did more than that, Harris. I really do. <laughs> um, so piece of advice for somebody who is going into the coaching business, what would you give them? What would be your one, I think we both have, don't go for the big shiny objects. They don't work. But what would be another one? <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that your experience, your life experience is going to be more valuable than than almost anything else that you're trained to do or you'll learn to do. Mm -hmm. I think if you could really understand and I I think particularly for survivors, it's really difficult for you to have a kind of broad uh, a broad perspective of what you've been through and what you've managed and what you've achieved you know quite a lot of people would say well you know you you've been through a lot and you've overcome a lot and I'd be like yeah and it was no big deal to me but actually the more that I've worked with uh, other trauma survivors it's been so important for them like what what I've been through and you know just thinking about myself it's just like well I, I had to survive so I did everything I could and eventually I got there mm-hmm. um, but so much of what I've learned and I'm helping to model you know um, healthy relationships um, what what's healthy communication what does emotional int- intimacy look like what does respect and boundaries look like mm-hmm. you know um, what what you know for a lot of people they're still in um, very toxic relationships they might still be dealing with codependency and therefore be in relationships with uh, abusive types of uh, very self-centered people mm-hmm. and watching them transform because of the behavior and the attitude that I'm modeling and the fact that I believe in their wholeness their humanity their worthiness exactly as they are now even if they're not healed or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much it's changed them has been really humbling and also eye-opening to what I've come. I've only, it's only been through other people that I've began to understand what I've been through and how valuable that is to others. So I would encourage other coaches to really value what they've been through and what they're delivering to others. That's a wonderful piece of advice. Um, I'm, I'm going to change the question and throw a little bit of a curveball to you. Um, that's a baseball term, if you don't, which... I know you're not American, and so you know using an American idiom is uh, probably someone who wants to be a coach and they're neurodivergent. You're actually not the first neurodivergent coach I've had on here, but I am curious what your piece of advice would be for someone who is neurodivergent because you have so many intersectionalities. Mm. Um, That's a really good question. Yeah, I, I think- just thought of it. <laughs> I think one of the primary things is to really be open about it and be in a space where you feel that it's, uh, you know, I don't want to do the toxic positivity thing of like, you know, like neurodivergence is a superpower because often it's not. But I think that the fact that you are and you can't change that, I think if you can nurture that side of yourself as much as possible and find a way to make things work for you to honor you know for instance um as part of my adhd i have a sleep phase uh, delayed sleep phase syndrome mm-hmm. which means that i often can't fall asleep before 2 a.m so i'm not a morning person and obviously in the world that we live in and in my case in the household that i've grown up in um 
people who sleep in are not regarded very well. You're lazy, and yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that I, I will work until, you know, the early hours of the morning and, and I can hyper focus. And I often like doing that when everyone's in bed and they're not going to bother me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's dark and there's no noise. And, you know, um, so I think if you can honour that, then you're going to, you know, firstly, you're going to function better in your business when you're meeting your own needs, no matter how weird they might be considered socially. And secondly, you're going to model to, I think invariably we end up working with people like us. Oh, yeah. Our ideal client is us, right? I mean, yeah. absolutely. And you're going to model to them that you can be happy, successful uh, in honoring those things and not trying to force yourself to be different or to or to meet some kind of arbitrary neurotypical standards. Yeah. I mean, you know, what we, what we need to do is get you more American clients because then you can go to work at two o'clock every day. <laughs> I'm up for that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Harris. It was really wonderful to have you on the show today and hear a little bit about what you do and who you are. And may I say you have amazingly beautiful hair. <laughs> thank you so much thank you for the compliment and thank you for having me come on today it's been a real pleasure thank you you've been listening to queer business success the podcast that highlights lgbtqia plus businesses new episodes are published regularly on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts and other listening platforms wherever you're listening take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.